you would turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9, for our scripture reading. The writer has been telling us of the superiority of of the Christ over all of the Old Testament law and its functions, beginning at verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, than through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this text, very much focused on the blood of Christ, we pray that we would reap from it good things, that we would be so blessed by remembering our salvation, and that we would revere the Christ who gave himself, who offered himself for our sins. We pray, Father, that you would give us understanding, appreciation, gratitude, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most of us have experienced tour guides. They take you along and they show you the important items in museums or in cities or other places, tour guides. Our tour guide this morning, through the uh, text that I've just read, he begins in a bit of a rush. He takes us on a very quick tour of the tabernacle in verse 1 to 5. He takes us and, and points out all the structures and all of the furniture of the temple, he says, verse 2, for a tent was prepared, the section in which the lampstand, the table, the bread of the present, it's called the holy place. All of these are presented to us. And very quickly, it's almost like we can hardly keep up. And it's quite shocking, actually, and would be shocking to a, a Jewish reader of the day to, to be told to look into the holy place, the most holy place, behind the second curtain, verse 3, uh, called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, and the golden urn, all of this gold, and Aaron's staff that budded the temples of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, the two angels over the ark and the mercy seat of God. It's sort of like we're on a speeding bus. And he's 
saying, turn to the right, turn to the left, turn to the right, turn to the left. We can hardly keep up with that. And he doesn't slow down. He says, of these things we cannot now speak in detail, verse 5. He's got somewhere he wants to go. And he just is not going to slow down. And from verse 6 now to verse 10, he takes us away from the furniture and the structure of the tabernacle in the Old Testament to the actual priestly functions within the tabernacle. And his point is that he wants us to get that forgiveness and atonement um, was limited. That only one man, once a year, could enter the presence of God. Only for a few brief moments. One day a year was the high priest, the representative of the people, allowed to enter the earthly, holiest place into the very presence of God. All the other priests, and there were thousands of them, they never got a chance to do that. All the population never got a chance to do that. Just one man, once a year. And he says in verse 6, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section. Verse 7, but into the section, second, only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and he takes blood there. And then he tells us that the Holy Spirit shows that the earthly tabernacle is restricted. It, 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 it restricted access to God. It was very limited. Verse 8, by the Holy Spirit indicates, by the way into the holy places, is not yet opened as long as the first section is standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. See, the conscience couldn't be cleansed by, the, by this sacrifice. Remember, we saw this last week, how, how the old covenant couldn't reach into the heart of man. It couldn't reach into the mind of man. It dealt with the exterior. It dealt with the flesh. It couldn't reach into our fallenness into our inner man that has been touched by sin. It couldn't cleanse there. It was an outward cleansing. And what we needed was a new heart, a new mind, an inward cleansing from sin. We might, we might say, have said to our tour guide here, this is all very impressive. I mean, it's all very golden. It's all very wonderful. Can we stay and admire? Can we get off the bus and, and just visit for a while at the tabernacle? And his reply would be, no. <laughs> and then we find out why our tour guide is in such a rush. Because he wants to take us to Christ. He wants to take us to the better hope, to the better way. It's like our tour guide is saying, you haven't seen anything yet. And so in verse 11, he speaks of the heavenly tent that we saw last week. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater 
and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He's speaking of the heavenly one. He entered once for all into the holy places, and not by the means of the blood of animals, he tells us, but he says, by his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. No need for repetition. No need for, re for replication. His sacrifice was once for all. <laughs> once for all. Final and complete. The salvation of our souls made through the Christ's sacrifice on the cross by his own blood, not through the repeated sacrifices of animals, not the blood of others, but his own blood. And he purchased an eternal redemption. We are bought back from sin and death eternally. No repetition needed because of who died, because of the value of the blood of the Son of God and the eternal nature of his, of his priesthood. And so it, this speaks to the completeness of our salvation. It, it, it speaks to the cost of our forgiveness. It speaks to the glory that awaits when you shovel snow in a blizzard you accomplish something, but not everything. You know you're going to be back out there soon. When you rake leaves in the fall, you accomplish something, but not everything. When you cut the grass at home, you accomplish something, but not everything. It's all going to need to be done again and again, and again. And the old covenant law, the Old Testament, the sacrifices and the offerings that were made were not without some value for the external, for, the, for teaching and for preparation. They accomplished something, but not everything. Not everything. The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses, Ezekiel says. Remember Martin Luther, Martin Luther who would go into a confessional, confess his sins, and, and then he would go out of the confessional and take a few steps, and in that meantime of just a few steps, he would be thinking, of course, that he had sinned again, and he would go back into the confessional. Something is accomplished, but not everything. In Christ, everything is accomplished. Everything is finished. Verse 14, he gave himself as the perfect sacrifice. How much more, he says, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself Without blemish, he had no sin, so he took our sins upon himself. He offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, we who are so blemished, he who had no blemish, 
God chose to accept a substitution to die in our place. And this is not only a matter of fact, it's also a matter of faith. And the nation of Israel, no matter how often they sacrificed, there would be another sin and there would be another cleansing needed. There would be more and more and more throughout their whole lives. And no matter how often they would repent, how often they would ask for forgiveness. It all accomplished something, but without the blood of Christ, it couldn't accomplish everything. And you here this morning, those here who are left in their sins on judgment day, you will be left with your works, you will be left with your deeds, you will be left with your thoughts, you'll be left, and then you will know what you reject now, that only the blood of Christ can cleanse you, only the blood of Christ can buy you back to God, only the blood of Christ can do everything. The blood of Christ can do everything and did everything. In verse 15, he takes us to the Old Testament people. He says, he's a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You know, God is immutable. He, immutable. He doesn't change. His method of redemption never changes. We're saved by grace through faith in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. The Son of God provided by the Father for our sins. And that's true for us and it's true for those who are in the Old Testament as well. Uh, in the Old Testament here he's saying they were their sins also were waiting for the death of Christ. The transgressors committed under the first covenant. He died for the sins of the Old Testament people just as he died for our sins. They looked ahead to him. We look back to him. You know, when you were young, when you were young and your parents said, clean your room, it might have been it might have seemed to you like an impossible task. But your parent said it, so you had to do it. And perhaps, though, you opened the closet door and you threw everything into the closet from your room. And the room looked clean, but you hoped that your parents wouldn't open the closet door. That's very much like the Old Covenant. <clears throat> it provided an outward form of cleansing, but it couldn't remove what was inside the closet. The best it could do was what it was meant to do. Just as the closet hid the mess for a time, so the sacrifices of bulls and goats hid the mess of, of the sins of the people until Christ came and died for those sins. 
See, the old covenant was good for something, but not everything. And the psalmist's heart was to call for something greater, something new, something better, something beautiful. He says, to God, create in me a new heart. He knew he needed that. That my sins were not just hidden, but they were washed away, that they were cleansed, that my sins were removed in my inner man. And that is exactly God's plan. The Old Testament saints would find their sins hidden, waiting for the day in anticipation for the one who would come and take them all away. Waiting for the Christ, for the good things to come, for the better hope, the better sacrifice. Not anymore the pattern, but the true. Not the shadow, but the substance. And it was a total cleansing that Jesus provides. Not just the outward form, but the inward man. We come to Christ like the leper and we say, if thou wilt, can thou make me clean? Can you make me clean? And Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. God opens the closet of our life and the blood of Christ cleanses every sin. And the cleansing of Christ's blood is timeless. The sins of the Old Testament were not beyond the reach of his blood. And the sins of all who have put their faith in him since the cross, his blood is sufficient. They looked ahead in the Old Testament and we look back to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it is a final cleansing. It is finished, there's no more, there's no one else, there's none after but the one God himself has provided to us. Look at verse 26 for us. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Total, final, timeless. You know, as we look at the world right now, we wonder, we wonder if we've seen anything yet. Our tour guide would show us quite a few things, wouldn't he, in our world today. There are wars and rumors of wars. There is conquest. There is disease. There is the fear of famine in parts of the world with the increase in food prices and all that's going on there. There's, there's death. It's not hard to imagine the four horsemen of the apocalypse who will bring judgment, just judgment, upon the people of the world. It's not hard to imagine them 
at least being saddled and ready to ride or even perhaps beginning their gallop through this next decade. Will you be safe and will you be saved? Will you not have your sins forgiven finally, totally, timelessly by the blood of the one God the Father has given to you as your Savior and your Lord, his own son. He did everything and he does everything needed. All you need is Jesus Christ. So put your faith in him. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive his cleansing. Let him wash away your sins and then follow him as his disciple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son, our savior. Thank you for his willingness to offer himself for us. Oh, what love is that? What grace, what, what mercy given to us. And Father, to be able to go through each day knowing that we have been bought back from sin and death, that we can live in joy and peace because our sins are forgiven and that we need not fear the events of our world. We need not fear what others fear because come what may, we are in Christ and will be with Christ forever. We pray, Lord, there's some here this morning who, who are in grave danger danger of dying with their sins unforgiven, dying to face the judgment. They're trusting in their own goodness instead of the goodness of Jesus the Christ. May your Holy Spirit fall upon them even now that they would trust in the one you gave who did everything for them and that they would receive forgiveness and receive new life, receive a new mind and a new heart. Grant this, Father, in grace and mercy. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.